Where should this go? Right there. Hi. Um, if you're new to the Bible study, I wasn't able to participate very much in the fall, but my name's Kay Jordan, and my husband is the senior pastor here, Darwin, and um, I'm kind of filling in for our cute new mama, Christina Maxwell. So I took her slots in the rotation because she's being a new mom. So I'm an old mom. So (laughs) somehow there's a string that ties that together. But um, before we get started today, let me pray and ask God to bless our time. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of having your word And we thank you so much for the honor and the strength that we have in having each other and each other to study the word with. We thank you, Father, that iron sharpens iron and that you have given us sisters to um, walk our paths with. And so we pray this morning, Father, that you would impress on us the beauty and the glory of our relationship with you. Um, please um, guard my words and um, help me to portray your beauty this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so first of all, I want to remind you that Ryan, our pastor, did such a wonderful job on Sunday of introducing us to this passage that we studied this week. He so he. So clearly, I don't have a handout today, by the way. <laughs> no, <clears throat> that's okay. Follow along. You'll probably get more out of what's on that sheet. <laughs> so just read that. <laughs> it's kind of like, it's kind of like looking at your phone and a movie at the same time. Just take whichever one you, you want to do. Um, but Ryan so clearly taught us what how we are not to pray. Do not pray like the pagans. Do not pray to be seen or heard. Do not pray vainly and anxiously babbling. So if you weren't here Sunday, please go online and listen to his sermon because it's just a complete and total setting the stage and explaining to us what the passages in the first part of our lesson today we're talking about. Secondly, if y'all don't mind... I'm just going to completely skip over the fasting verses and go straight to the give us our day, our daily bread verses, because <laughs> I'm a lot more comfortable with bread than I am with fasting. <laughs> so somehow that just speaks to me more, and uh, I, I feel more qualified to speak on the daily bread part <laughs> than I do the, um, the fasting part. Um, But seriously, for real, um, let's just talk briefly about the Lord's Prayer as a whole. And I'm sure I'm probably saying everything y'all said in small groups. So again, just look at the other handout. Um, The Lord's Prayer is probably the most familiar passage in all of Scripture. Um, It's so recognizable both inside and outside of the church. It's probably, if anybody has any section of the Bible memorized, even unbelievers, they have the Lord's Prayer memorized, right? Um, Some have said that 
the Lord's Prayer is the essence of Christianity, that it is Christianity in a nutshell. It is indeed one of the most beautiful summaries of what it means to be a Christian. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus sets forth the main passions of our life. He tells us what the things that we are to be the most passionate about. He tells us that we're to be the most passionate about God's name and that we are to be passionate about his kingdom. We're to be passionate about his will. And then he tells us beautifully what our most vital needs are as a human being, Um, our physical life, forgiveness horizontally and vertically, and the spiritual warfare that we're in. So Jesus in this prayer lays out all of life. The Lord's Prayer calls us um, to think about what would delight us the most and what would fulfill us the most, which is God's kingdom and his will. That's what would fulfill us the most in our life. And the Lord's Prayer calls us to the most critical need we have in our life, and that is to be forgiven and to have someone fighting our warfare for us. Um, It's been said that the and I'm sure y'all talked about this, that the Lord's Prayer is basically a framework for all of our prayers. Uh, it's not the only words we're supposed to pray, but it's you cannot ever exhaust the prayer of the Lord's Prayer. Each sentence in the Lord's Prayer uh, is inexhaustible in the words and the thoughts that this framework of prayer brings to our mind and teaches us <clears throat> how to pray. That being said, I'm also very excited that our pastors are starting a whole series on the Lord's Prayer, which is um, maybe God's timing that he knew beforehand that we would be studying this and then our whole church would be studying this together. So the fact that they're doing this whole series on the Lord's Prayer makes my job a lot easier today. It makes it possible for me to do what I felt like God was just My heart was just beating and racing as I thought and studied about this this week um, to concentrate on just the first two words of the Lord's Prayer, which is our Father. This is what J.I. Packer has to say about our Father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his Father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament better than the old, and everything that is distinctly Christian as opposed to merely Jewish, is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. This way of addressing God divides Christianity and Christian prayer from that of pagan prayer and the Christian from the non-Christian. Tim Keller says it this way, A right understanding of the Lord's Prayer and more specifically the term Our Father divides all humanity. Think about that for just a minute. Our Father divides all of humanity. 
It also divides the Bible. This is extremely cool to me. Kent Hughes writes that our father are the two words that divide the Old Testament from the New Testament. Never, not even once in all of the Old Testament was God referred to as father. Let me explain that. The 14 times that father does appear in the Old Testament, only 14 times, in those 14 times, it was talking about him being the father of a nation. Never God being anyone's individual father. It only referred to God's relationship to the whole, not the individual. But the four Gospels alone have Jesus calling God Father over 60 times. He addressed God only as Father. That is the only way God addressed, that's the only way Jesus addressed God is with this Abba word that we're going to look at in just a minute. He addressed him always as Father and he never used anything else. And of course, they were his last words, Father. Into your hands, I commend my spirit. So Jesus' use of the word Father dramatically summarizes the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. No one in the entire history of Israel had ever spoken to God and prayed like Jesus prayed. In fact, they had even invented a lot of new names for God. And with each invention of a new name, it would be like, pointing out the otherness of God, the holiness of God, the unattainableness of God, the, the separation of God from us, the bigness, the all of these words, all of these names made God even seem more and more and more far off and more distant. Um, so everyone, so when God, when Jesus addressed God as Abba, you know this, it was a very familiar word. Everybody already knew that word. It was already in their vocabulary. It would have been the very thing that the disciples had called their daddy. And it was the same word that Jesus had used to refer to Joseph, his earthly father. Jesus had said, had called Joseph Abba. And now he is saying to his disciples, You can call God Abba. That is how you can talk to him. Jesus only referred to his heavenly father in the same way he had addressed his earthly father, Joseph. It's even uh, sweeter than our term daddy. We've sometimes heard it translated as daddy. But it carries with it an emotional weight that our word daddy doesn't even have. Scholars would say it's almost like we would be saying dearest daddy or giving an adjective to the word daddy that says he is the sweetest, kindest, he is the dearest daddy. So for now, for the first time ever, Jesus is addressing God who is out there as dearest daddy. And that is the only way Jesus ever addressed God in prayer. This is why the religious leaders hated him. This is the first thing that really got Jesus in trouble was his family connection to God, his oneness with Yahweh. As John says, they were seeking all the more to kill him because he was calling God his father. 
In fact, when Pilate continues to say, I find no fault in him, the Jewish leaders begin to scream. He calls himself the son of God. That intimacy and oneness is what they despised about Jesus and why they wanted to kill him. But here's the story behind the story that they didn't know. God, the eternal father, the eternal father of his eternal son. Think about that relationship. Now manifested in the person of Jesus, both God the Father and Jesus the Son desired a family. They desired children, sons and daughters, brothers and sisters. But all of mankind had become, through the fall, to belong to another father. Their father had become the devil himself, and they were cut off and amputated from God. So in order to gain this family, whom they already desired and loved, God set in motion a great adoption plan. Who desires whom first in an adoption? Even in our own adoption of the three babies that we adopted, who desired whom first? Who longed for whom first? Whose, Whose heart ached first? We, Darwin and I, set our affection on our children long before we actually had them in our arms. Theologian Jeremiah says, In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus authorizes his disciples to repeat the word Abba after him. He gives them a share in his sonship that he had had with the Father from all eternity and empowers them as his disciples to speak with their Heavenly Father in just such a familiar way, trusting the way a child would trust his Father. This is the foundational awareness of all of our prayers. Being able to say, our Father, is what being born again means. It's what being born again means. Listen to Galatians 4.4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters... And because you are sons and daughters, God has set his spirit of his son into our hearts so that now we can cry, Abba, dearest daddy, father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Christ was sent forth to redeem us through his suffering and death. He purchased our adoption He's the one that went to China to get us, Luann. Christ came to earth to get us, to redeem us, to pay for our adoption to his suffering and death. But the specific person purpose that we would be able to receive adoption as sons and daughters. Again, in light of this Galatians passage, think about and meditate on the fact that he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ in Ephesians 1.5. Because we're sons and daughters, God set the spirit of his son into our hearts. 
He wants us to know that. That's what being born again means. We know now that he, um, he is our Father. Our sp- his Spirit in us cries out, this Abba Father. And it becomes our cry of our life, the comfort of our life, our confidence, and our reality that, in which we live, that we are His sons and daughters. This realization of our relationship to God our Father, the grace to say it in our heart, Abba, Father, is one of the great and primary works of the Holy Spirit. That's the first thing he starts doing in a born-again Christian, is he starts convincing us that God is our Father and we are his child. And that's the work that he will continue to do until we see him face-to-face We continue to ask the Spirit, reveal to us more and more and more and more the inexhaustible beauty and comfort that God is our Father. And integrate that into my life. Integrate that into every circumstance I face in my life. Press that on me that I'm your child. Tim Keller talks about the two beautiful words in Christ's high priestly prayer. The words... Just as. Think about that. Jesus prays in that prayer that we would be one with the Father just as. The same as God the Father and the God the Son are. That's what our adoption does for us. That's what Abba Father does. It puts us in that category just as the Father and Son are. Imagine that. I mean, like, seriously, you can't wrap your head around that. We, we are so quick to doubt God's love and his being for us. But we know how much he loves Christ. We know how much he loves his son. In the prayer, Jesus himself prayed, let them know that we are one just as. That's our adoption. That's our sonship. That's our Abba Father. We have to cultivate this. We have to ask the Spirit to make it more and more and more real to us. This is what will bring wholeness in our life, wholeness in our spiritual life. It's the only thing that will bring us into this knowing that we're loved. We're loved. The reality of our forgiveness brings us into this reality of our being loved. The wholeness that comes from being loved and being forgiven should be the fuel of our life. It should be how and why we can even wake up in the morning and how and why we can go to sleep at night. Just as those two words, our Father, dearest Daddy, can govern all of our lives and give us all confidence and all comfort and all joy and all peace. As we continue a deeper and deeper understanding of this wonder of our Father, the more we understand, then the more that reality presses in on every aspect of our life. When we realize God is our Father, then all the other petitions of that Lord's Prayer, the answer is yes. The answer is yes to every one of those petitions that we would pray because he is our father.
Adoption and forgiveness are equal. They basically mean the same thing because our adoption is possible through forgiveness and through forgiveness we are adopted. All the forgiveness that we need for our adoption was accomplished in Jesus. All the forgiveness for all of us was accomplished in Jesus. How silly would it be for us to say that one of Luann's little girls is more adopted than another, right? That, that is the silliest thing we could say. She's gone to China for all three of her babies. They're all three her babies. Is there one that's more adopted than the other? Absolutely not. That's ludicrous. And speaking from my own personal experience, there's not one of my children that's more adopted than the other. They all three are legally mine. They're all three equally loved, and I don't have a favorite. They're all mine. They're all Luann's with all of our heart at all the time. They are completely ours. So adoption equals forgiveness. Think about this. In forgiveness, just like in adoption, there are no grades of forgiveness. There are no forgiveness curves. No one has received more or less forgiveness than anyone else. And so sometimes we can have adoption as this general thing that Christ accomplished on the cross. But yet when we associate it with our forgiveness, sometimes it becomes very limited in its application in our lives. Um, there's no automatic standard roll down window, no air conditioner, no radio, no stripped down versions of forgiveness versus a pimped out jag version that we think other people get. Okay. And we can do that. We can feel like that the forgot that thought that God just, how could he forgive me? I'm so much worse than this person or that person. There's no way. And even if he does forgive me, I can't forgive myself. Those are the ways in which we many times approach the forgiveness of God that equals our adoption. The the Father, through Christ, forgives all of us's, all of our sins. We're all brought into his family. We all have been forgiven of all of our sins. How many, how many different ways can we say that or just say it the same way over and over again? We're all washed with the same blood. The same work of Christ cleanses each one of us in the same way. It's not a car wash where you can pay more and get more forgiveness or get more things, <laughs> get more things cleaned up. Um, my car is never as clean as somebody else's because I can't afford the deluxe version, you know. So uh, there are always crumbs still left after I go to the car wash. But for Jesus... In his forgiveness, we all get the deluxe version. Every nook and cranny is cleaned as perfectly as it can be. He was the perfect sacrifice. How could there be any more? One can't be more forgiven than another. One cannot be more favored than another. Do you think that not all of our adopted children have received the same position in our families? The whole family receives the same perfect forgiveness 
that the same perfect sacrifice, the price for each one of our adoptions has been paid in full. There's nothing left to do. The degree to which our Father controls our the to the degree to which the term our Father controls our lives and our prayer lives is a measure of how much the gospel itself actually controls our life. Okay? Our is a key word in the Our Father, just as dearest daddy. The Our is very important because it is a family of forgiven people. And our family is a family of forgiveness. If we cannot forgive others, we've not others understood what God's forgiving adoption has meant in our, in our own lives. And we come to understand, we haven't come to understand the wonder of our adoption. We've not come to understand that any wrong anybody ever has done to us or will do to us is no greater than the wrong that we have done to God and that that wrong has been fully paid in Christ, fully forgiven, and that changes the whole way we go about living this life in terms of forgiving others. Our inability to forgive and refusing God's forgiveness um, and being able to believe that I'm forgiven, um, it may reveal my own fear of God, my own distrust of Him. I may see myself as unforgivable. I may secretly doubt that He can forgive me. It says a lot about who we think God is and who we think we are in the measure of our forgiveness. That's what the verses mean. As you forgive others, God will forgive you. Um, my inability to forgive may think that I think so little of my sin, I've not even realized how much it cost to go to China and adopt a baby. We may not even realize how much it cost for Christ to adopt us into his family. We don't see our great need, so therefore our sin is no great big deal. But other sin, other people's sins are a huge deal to the self-righteous, right? Other people's sins are huge to the self-righteous. Very few of us, sadly, have a wonderful earthly example of this kind of father that loves unconditionally and that is all in. Um, just on Sunday, Philip Maxwell, as I was, uh, I'm not going to be able to get through this. As I was studying this passage, this picture came from Philip Maxwell. And all he said in this picture is, we love her already. Unfortunately, many of us come from situations that are quite the opposite. Our fathers, our earthly fathers have perhaps crippled and maimed and lamed us for life. And we can't even, and scarred us, and we can't even imagine a benevolent heavenly father. It is far beyond our imagination. Um, John Piper says for us to do this. 
He says, imagine if you've had a good daddy, imagine your heavenly father, our God, being 10,000 times 10,000 better than the best daddies. And if you've had a daddy that hurt you and abandoned you, then let your imagination run wild. Every imagination that you've had of what a father could be that you didn't have, don't multiply that times 10,000. Multiply it by a billion times a billion. And that is your father. That is who your heavenly father is. That is who your dearest daddy, Abba, is. Because he is our father, we can continually over and over and over again with him with boldness and confidence come to him. Does your three-year-old ever stop asking you for anything? (laughs) Seriously, do they ever stop asking? No, a three-year-old never stops asking. You think they'll never learn to stop asking? Only the king's little girl is brave enough to wake the king up in the middle of the night and ask him for a cup of water. We are all equally the king's little girl, and the risen Christ is our brother, who earned this adoption for us with his precious blood, the cost of his life. Now, are you loved already? And how bold can our prayers be? Thanks. Um, We'll pray. I'll I'll close this in prayer.